0: Dr. Kuntz, was Sigmund Freud a lunatic?
1: (laughs) Sigmund Freud was a really uncomfortable man. And there's a book that I think I've mentioned before by John Murray Cudahy that evaluates Marx and Freud on personal terms. Many people remarked upon what a megalomaniac Marx was. Freud mainly analyzed people from sort of within his own viennese jewish bourgeois circles and i think there was legitimately something sort of wrong with that with that circle on a on a deep level especially the family relationships the crazy thing that freud then does is to extrapolate the pressures struggles and traumas of that group and then project it onto the rest of humanity a kinsey yeah, and Kinsey is a is a similar example where people who have had horrible things done to them and or do horrible things to other people especially sexually begin to believe that that is true probably of everybody.
0: Is there anything good we can take from Freud?
1: Not that Jung couldn't also give you. You know, the 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 if you're really interested in psychology per se, I would delve into William James who is much more empirically based and who wrote a massive tome called Principles of Psychology that gives you a much better, I think, both introduction to the topic, if you've never read it before, it's very thorough, but also is much less speculative about and and does not have the same attachment to his own theorizing that Freud very much does and Jung does to a great extent as well.
0: Does James deal with the topic of ego, id, superego? No, because,
1: I mean, he, he deals with questions of how, pers- how people form their sense of themselves, what can fracture a sense of a person's self. He does not have the same schematic to explain human beings that Freud does. So, I mean, notably, that makes Freud more powerful as a theoretician, which is why Freud still gets used by non-psychologists, non-experimental psychologists, English departments, blank studies departments are still using Freud. Even though James, it, it, to the extent that psychology is scientific, is a much better father for psychology. Well, what
0: schematic does James use instead of ego, it's superego?
1: Well, James is also a great philosopher and great just simply by virtue of output not that I agree with everything he says and his philosophy is very attached it's called pragmatism it doesn't mean you know merely materialistic attachment to whatever works but the primacy of observation of experience over all other things so that's all the schematic there is otherwise he's interested in the massive collection of data so James writes a really wonderful book. Uh, it's, it's the founding book on psychology of religion, varieties of religious experience. He himself is maybe a theist, but because of his investment in simply collecting what people say, what they've written about their experience of mystical things or divine things, it's a wonderful book. It's, a, it's an extremely fair and sympathetic book. Those aren't qualities that Freud is able to exhibit because he is obsessed with the propagation of his own schema.
0: He's obsessed with himself, uh, as often someone is, who has a psychosis yeah, is. It's, it's that, that, that's course. what John
1: Murray Cudahy says precisely. Freud is projecting his own extreme discomfort in his particular place and time onto the entirety of humankind. Well,
0: well goodness, that makes me tangent by saying, isn't that just what Dr. Luther did? <laughs> i mean that's um, the argument they throw at him and i'm just gonna yeah, say i mean yeah, hey yeah okay i mean
1: i think i think that the reason that that claim has any purchase is because luther suffers all the diseases of celebrity and the diseases of celebrity include no one will ever tell you to your face that you're wrong <laughs> And also, I mean, lots of people will tell you from far away, but nobody you encounter (laughs) in daily life. That
0: sounds about right, then. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's no one.
1: No one in your daily life contradicts you or or makes you actually explain yourself to any to any great degree. But also that and I I think that this is probably more true earlier on in Luther when a lot of things are fresher and more intense. It's not as true about his later career when he's developing the institutional life of what is going to become. What is come going to come to be called the Lutheran Church? Earlier on in his life, I think the experi the the intensity of the experiences through which he went, and also his makeup as a man of very strong not only passions but um,
0: perhaps as tormented as Freud himself. You know, I mean, uh, he, no, had well, it, he had a certain need. He had a certain need to find something, right? I think I think in a
1: different way. Sure. Um because I think for Luther the search is for consistency and especially intellectual consistency. I mean, the way that he describes his conversion as such involves the definition of a term in Romans chapter 1, right? Freud is not Freud is not seeking to define things nearly so clearly nor is it the search for truth that obsesses Freud. Freud is obsessed with How and why people are so messed up in a highly civilized place and time. So it's a it's a different set of problems, even though in both cases the man comes up with an intellectual solution to what is also a personal problem. But I think, I do think Luther is obsessed with what we might describe as abstract truth, which is both a blessing and a burden to the church that now operates in his name. That very often for us the capacity to explain abstract truth is very very high but very poorly integrated with one's own walk of or way of life which the bible would talk about as wisdom
0: yeah like, or the planet we live on right so so we're all aliens that speak medieval german Doctrine, really well. Uh, Anyway, backing up from our self-degradation as white guys are wont to do, uh, (laughs) leaving our great slain hero in our wake. Uh, Let's really complete the circle, though, since we talked about Freud and James. Can you just say, then, how does Jung integrate between these two guys?
1: Well, Jung is, is not involved with James, because James is a certain development of psychology originates as a discipline, within 19th century Germany, as does almost everything worthwhile in the modern world, uh, electrical engineering, lots of things. But James is a development that really only gets followed in America and issues in things like what is the subdiscipline of, say, positive psychology, which is using psychology to figure out how to live life better rather than merely using psychology to diagnose malfunction. Okay, so James has his own tradition and it lives sort of separately. Jung is a heretic, according to Freud, of Freud's own, let's say, church. Yeah, okay. So Jung and Freud are together, but then split over what exactly psychology is exploring. And whereas Freud has no investment in, say, prior European civilization, Jung actually believes that psychology is expressive of one's own cultural and mythological attachments and imagery so when he reads a dream he's not reading some variant of sexual malfunction but not not that sex is excluded from analysis but that there are many many other things in human life and available with within one's own cultural tradition so that's going to be called analytical psychology but it and freudian psychology are initially related
0: Okay. So so then analytical psychology is uh, understanding that the, or believing that the human psyche is generally expressive of its inputs and that the amalgamation of these inputs, symbols, archetypes over time kind of form the identity of the human. And that's Jung's, Jung's completion of Freud's very weak need. It's all about sex. It, it kind of it, he took some of the framework and made it about the whole man. And yet it he probably pushes a lot of himself and his assumptions into that. And then that's what James empirically counters. And this is kind of your position. Is that fair?
1: James is just totally off on his own because he and the people who are working with him in late 19th century America predate a split between Freud and Jung and are pursuing a different way of trying to understand the human psyche. So He's not reacting to them in any kind of thorough or explicit way.
0: Is it your contention that if you have not read Freud or Jung at this point in history, like, don't just move on? I would
1: read Jung for his basic, I think, laudable, lowercase c Catholic interest in humans and their civilizations.
0: And do you think the terms ego, id and superego are pretty much for the wayside?
1: I do because I think that it is. I, I agree with John Murray Cudahy that Marxism is a projection of Marx's resentment, um, as Freudianism is a projection of Freud's dysfunction. And so I find anything that you're going to find that you think might be profound about human beings is going to be stated better with more relationship to other areas of human life other than familial and sexual relationships in Jung.
0: All right. All right. That that makes a lot of sense. Well, you just said that there, that it's possible that if you find something in Jung or even Freud that is correctly helping you, it is helping you from the position of someone who perhaps has too much uh, psychosis to really help you. And, and, (laughs) and, and, And by going through, say, James, you may be able to diagnose some of the same categories within your own mind, your own voice, your own struggle. dare we say, can you say German words these days? Um, As you find your own personal struggle, the language of James is going to be, by kind of breadth of empirical evidence, a more objective foundation for for building your psychology. And and is that, again, a fair representation of your argument?
1: I think James is helpful, even if you don't feel like there's something deeply wrong with you. And I think that 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 is a key distinction in any discipline, is that Freud and Jung, are pursuing their researches at least initially in order to fix observable problems in specific patients. James does not have some sort of practical therapeutic purpose. Explicitly, he's interested in human beings even if they would be deemed by everybody sane. So, I think that this is this is also and and people among the questions that we got most of them are, are quite practical and and I and I want to talk about those, but I think it's important to say this too, is that if you want to rebuild a civilization, you have to have people who are pursuing the things that they are pursuing in what we would call the arts and the sciences for their own sake. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that those things are therefore divorced from things like politics or law or ecclesiastical life, but it means that things that are worthwhile about the human spirit are worthwhile on their own. That's why they are pursued. And it is notable how utilitarian so much, even ostensibly intellectual talk becomes in the 20th century when you constantly have to prove that something is relevant. It's interesting that in a time when people are sort of objectively achieving a lot, settling the American frontier, discovering electricity and its practical uses, all these sorts of things in the 19th century, no one is questioning that educated people have to know Greek and Latin and higher mathematics. No one is questioning that, you know, an educated man in Germany needs to be able to read Homer fluently in the original. So I think that there is. Sounds like an, privilege
0: talking, man. Sounds like right, privilege
1: it, do, it does. There's definitely an inverse relationship between a people's or a, a nation's or a civilization's obsession with being, quote, practical. And its capacities to access the higher things of the human spirit and to discover what is true for its own sake. And I think I don't think that William James was infallible or something, but I think that he had the necessary dispassionate attachment to truth that I would commend also in Luther in the realm of theology that is necessary for doing things that are of lasting value. I hope in 200 years Freud is a footnote that only people like myself know about. You plan
0: to be here in 200 years?
1: Uh, I do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but what I mean is, people who pursue you know intellectually arcane things know names and concepts that normal wow. people don't 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 need to know. And I hope that Freud's fate is similar.
0: How much Ugaritic do you know? <laughs>
1: Not enough right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But uh, but, I, but I I will try.
0: I had my first taste about three weeks ago of oh if I knew Ugaritic then I could answer this question and I was like I, I can, <laughs> right, I, I okay right. I'm not going to answer this God. one anytime soon I'll set that down for now. Yeah that's so, right that's right. <laughs> so you threw out the, the the uh the the hook on Discord. Yeah. And we have just some some potpourri coming out of that. I mean oh, I had I had it. Speaking of studying sanity and insanity together we have questions mm-hmm. from the Discord. There we go. <laughs> I think they're all very
1: sane. They're probably saner than I am.
0: Hey, but. we got we got listeners who are in higher places than we, I think, and I <laughs> oh, am yeah. honored that they care that we talk. Why they listen probably cuz you're smart and say things. And I sometimes <laughs> make you say smart things by saying almost smart things. Something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. And I can I can tell I I can often sort of predict what people are going to want to ask about or push back on. Because if I go on about, you know, price controls during the Nixon administration, some people are interested and see the applicability and and, but most people don't care, which I totally get. So we have a lot of episode 34 questions. So if you totally forgot that you might want to go back and that's Listen really to interesting somewhere. to me. I, I yeah.
0: really want to interject that my main knowledge about Richard Nixon begins with a movie called Point Break, in which someone steals stuff with one of his masks on and then goes surfing, and that's like, and he he, he says, <laughs> "I am not a thief" as he walks out, and that is my cultural yeah. introduction to that guy. Um, <laughs> episode thirty-four, though, I'd run that down. What this sounds like, like you know, deep FBI CIA kind of it's episode thirty-four. What
1: was that? Episode thirty-four. I guess I guess we talked about organizing oneself, seeking out groups because it is much easier to survive and even to flourish in groups than alone. And I mean, the things that I was talking about with the dispassionate things of the human spirit earlier usually have to be pursued by one person at a time. I cannot make art for Michelangelo or do the, the thinking for Hegel uh, I know you hate Hegel. I'm just you know using examples oh, here.
0: just no, 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 he's got his place in the dying beast that is the modern idea,
1: <laughs> but um, but there is so much that supports that 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 educates and sustains and provides value and context for lives that produce art or great thought or things like that. So that's why groups I think are are primary. And then these other things come come later.
0: Well, I think they um, come out of the group. I mean, the group right, life is right. the fertile soil of the art, whether it's right. you know, painful yep. and bad or, or, or like beautiful and flourishing. It is detachment from it that leads into the abstract, I think. And yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 Like I, w- I would seriously doubt if the modern United States could produce Herman Melville because we're just not as literate as is the culture that produced him.
0: No, probably not. the The book the book is too hard to read, man. It is too hard to read. (laughs) That that's the problem. We are dum dum dums now. So, yeah. So, what's our questions? Uh, Yeah, you're you're the computer guy. I'm not. I'm I'm a luddite. Yeah. First question
1: is, um, I'm just going to read them, um, and I hope this. I will obviously I won't give uh, you know usernames. One question that has been nagging me in reference to episode 34, if I recall correctly, how are we supposed to organize ourselves? Read our churches into intentionally separate economic units, like the Amish, when people seem to be allergic to doing obvious things for their congregation, i.e. help with childcare, yard work, home repair, employment, durable goods or professional services or medical services, entrepreneurial mentorship, etc., just to name a few. And then he, you know, cl- kind of clarifies, maybe it's just been the churches I've attended, but it seems no one knows each other well enough to know or care about needs or generous enough to consider them. How do laymen help change that? I've tried leading by example, but got out. And let me read another question really about the same topic, but with a slightly different, you know, angle on it, especially regarding, you know, the future and one's children. Episode 34, the group thing. That sounds nice, but what if you don't have one? What if your family is alone in this? How does one find that group that is committed to being a group without sounding like weirdos? Laughing <laughs> face.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm. 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 I'm deadpan serious the whole time, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. That's a. That's a problem.
1: How soon should we be <laughs> in groups? When will the heavy persecution start? That's kind of a separate question, but. I- I want to do that one, too. I could see maybe my children's families being a group, but I'm not too hopeful for raising my own family in that kind of community. It just doesn't seem possible. Okay,
0: yeah, go on, man.
1: Yeah. So I think I think there's there's a lot of moving parts and the first just reorientation for ourselves, but then also for congregations, whether you're listening to this and you lead a congregation or you're a member of one, is I think this, and that is that I need to start orienting my life the way that people who are used to thinking long term do. So, you know, pension funds and sovereign wealth funds for nations and university endowment funds will often think, how do we ensure that this pension or nation or university endowment is still flourishing in 200 years. And the problem is that although that is an orientation toward a very distant future that is actually trained in especially things like finance, the normal person, when you go to public school like you're supposed to, or something that largely resembles public school, you're trained to get a job in your lifetime. And so that that centers all of your activity in life around, you know, the, the, the only amount of deferment that you're generally asked to do is for your retirement and probably for your child's college education. Otherwise, you're supposed to be useful in some regard and hopefully to make a lot of money and then to have a sort of currently enjoyable life. And the basic thing that we're saying right away, and I think this is especially pertinent if you are a pastor, so that your words are listened to by a bunch of people every single week, the basic reorientation is to start to think in terms of not just decades, but your great-grandchildren's or farther away than that lifetimes. So somebody whom you might see if you live long enough, God willing, someone whose face you might look into think about what his life will be like when he's old. And then you're beginning to think, I think at least as well, and at least as long as people who are devoted merely to money and not to God or their families necessarily.
0: So it still doesn't tell them what to do when they're alone.
1: Right. Well, so that I, what I'm saying is that's, that's the most basic thing. And because our groups generally don't have that orientation. They have the normal, very short time horizon we've been trained to have. The first thing you wanna do, and I think this is especially important for men because any political, and I don't just mean like electoral politics, I mean also like how churches function, practically speaking, that leadership is going to come from men. So you want groups of men in a congregation, in a region, in our church terms, a district and nationally groups of men uh, don't have to just be pastors, certainly should not actually be for the good of everybody long-term and, and, and a broad view of life who can come together and support each other. This is, I mean, I, I think that brotherhood is the foundation of a commonwealth. There is no such thing as a commonwealth without brotherhood. It could be a monarchy. It could be a republic. But fundamentally, there have to be men who accept responsibility for things very practically. If you're in a place where that's nobody right now, okay, nobody that you know, or you're not a man and you're also in a place where that's nobody right now, a couple questions you want to ask yourself. One, is there anyone around who could potentially be part of such a group? And is it somebody who goes to a different kind of a church? Because we're not saying that for future survival, you all have to be communing in the same place at the same time every single Sunday. That's (laughs) at the point where where we are maybe, you know, not allowed to use banking services because of our understanding of like the reality of, you know, biological genitalia and its importance to male and female. In that place, I'm not, I'm not immediately concerned that the person who's working with me to help me fix my house
0: is a Calvinist. Sounds to me like you're going back to Rome already. I I think we got to cut the podcast (laughs) right now. Um, Let let me just review a little bit here. This is great answers, uh, Adam. Great answers. Think in genre and meaning like biblical genre, I mean, like 40-year gaps in which three different generations at max exist in that 40-year gap, not that every three years there's a new thing they sell you. Uh, yeah. Think in that uh, grandchildren generation, and then they will have grandchildren generation. That's that your 40-year swing is going on, and believe that life will go on that way unless the world right. is, in fact, going to end. If you have that kind of eschatology, right. I mean, I, I guess you can plan for the world ending today. But generally, you know, you got to kind of walk today for tomorrow. So thinking in that kind of long genre and then realizing that this only happens in groups really well, usually, it's hard to survive alone. It's easier to survive in groups. And that when you have groups begin to grow together, they're going to have to form smaller groups and these will generally be based on natural realities. You don't have to plan these. They're there to be used. And the most obvious one is that half of them are men. And uh, amongst those men, you're going to have men who uh, lead just because it's what they do. Uh, And then the group coheres around that. Right. Now, the question is, do you have trustworthy men near you? Um, uh, Trustworthy women are important, too. Right. But a society is not going to survive without without some trustworthy men. And that's kind of where we're at. So but I, I heard in the question still burnout is I am a man, I'm burning out. Again, I am alone, I don't know where to go. I feel like persecution's about to start right now. Um, And so my answer to this whole question again, and I'll let you take it from here, is that what you're looking for may not be possible in many cases or places. How you find what you're looking for may also not be possible. You may have to found what you're looking for, and that could involve yep. moving to do so, and I think the word "found" is you know it's a nice that's a nice pun to end with right,
1: right. yeah no i think I think that one way to look at our at our historical position is that we are in a pioneering phase that what had been is winding down, and many of us are young enough never to have remembered anything really all that good. And so when you're a pioneer, the thing that you want to ask yourself is not like, well, what, what resources do I have right now? But if I don't have resources, can I find them? And where can I find them? So if you are completely alone, and that's indefinite, so let me just give you like a concrete example. You live in a place where housing is absurdly expensive, and you cannot raise a family. I really would seriously encourage you just to move. Amen. Because at that point, you know, the unfamiliarity of Oklahoma is going to be a lot better than the place that you really can't afford to live, no matter how familiar it is. And by afford to live, I mean, organizing your life around the idea of doing good to generations you will never look upon the face of. So that, and and that is going to be the way to survive. So how do we do that? Another couple practical things, I think, in this regard. One is, especially if you are a pastor, but if you are a layman in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, for instance, you have a lot of potential political power because not only do you probably have more money than pastors do, but also you have an equal vote if you show up to anything. So here are some things I would encourage us to do. Institutionally, with what we do have remaining, while we have the boomers who have more personal wealth than any previous or succeeding generation, we should have things through things like our credit union and our essentially synodical bank, in addition to our congregations that are effectively microfinance. That's the secret to the Amish, but it's also the secret to a lot of programs in various third world countries where you're trying to say, I know you don't really wanna be anything except a farmer, but I'm gonna loan you $1,000 that are gonna go a really long way in this particular regard because usually people's needs are not nearly as enormous as synodical institutions or national institutions or state institutions. But if they got $5,000 at the right time, it really could do something for them. So if you look into microfinance, This is something that I think going forward would be immensely helpful congregationally, but also on levels above that, where we're orienting our group economic goals not toward the expansion of institutional life as we did throughout the 20th century with the rise of sort of the the corporate denomination, but toward the specific goods needed and beneficial to the flourishing, especially of families within congregations.
0: Uh, From where I'm sitting, the congregation in, I'm going to go inside baseball here because it's where Mm -hmm. we are. Uh, Yeah. LCMS congregation is ill prepared for any of this. Institutionally, it is, it is a albatross. If, if not a dinosaur, uh, as in as from the way the structure goes. Uh, it is largely a way to keep a culture together and fighting with each other, but able to handle the, um, the, the valued institutions they built generations prior. Uh, it is um, ultimately, as a giant organization, seems to be there to protect uh, a working class of called workers and their, their, their future retirement. Uh, it seems to really be what holds the thing together. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't Christians in all of this. The Babylonian captivity of the church, as Luther saw it, is, is significantly bigger than just Rome. What it means, though, is that when you go to your congregation, you're probably not going to find a men's group dedicated to solving this problem. Uh, you may not even find your pastor aware that this is a problem. Uh, if you do have some allies, five, seven guys that are, you know, men that agree, like, look, survival is actually kind of an issue. And we, we can see this and we don't know what to do. So we're just going to talk about that. You're still dealing with a, the bones of an institution run by a populist ideal, ideology, democracy, that is more geared toward preserving its week-by-week week status quo, which is not all bad, than really looking down the road at anything. Ever in my experience. So, you know, here I am doing this show with you and, and I have I have <laughs> members who listen to me. I have members yeah. who, who don't and who probably would really disagree with a lot of stuff on this show. But, you know, they're not interested in this show. They're living their life and then they come and they sure. listen to the word of God. So sure. I you know I, I can care for them and uh, and I think they can receive that. But then how do how would I try to tailor, uh, you know, this institution that I keep telling them is built to make sure there's a pulpit and an altar here a generation and a half or five from now that's what we're here for to turn that into you know the club for uh, survivalism i think would be a bit misguided and impossible it's kind of both ends there right as opposed to seeing that around it all sorts of stuff can spring up so i'll tell you straight up what i'm doing Uh, i knew we needed a men's group at the church so i started one and we go out and you know we do target practice with our firearms because we've got some vets and stuff and wouldn't you know they they are all like-minded with regard to this conversation that we're having and it's turned into the place where we talk about that and and uh, you know I bring some proverbs and we try to just live today with some wisdom for today in their lives because they're all dealing with all manner of things you know uh, I don't want to get into any private stuff right but like all private lives everyone else is dealing with in their homes struggling with relationships struggling with finance I mean so everybody's got this going on and, and yet you know we're letting it bubble beside the church rather than try to make it in the church, and recognizing that in the church, you know, you have a very public reality that's geared toward one thing, which is announcing that Jesus Christ has risen, even if they are killing you in the building that day. Now, that's a little different from the rest of our show, I suppose, normally, right? But again, inside, and uh, from my perspective as a pastor, wanting to see survival happen as a community around me, and believing exactly what you said about, you know, the the Catholics are my friends, the Reformed are my friends, heck, even a, a certain kind of Muslim is, is my friend, a certain kind of Jew is my friend, um, because if we really believe uh, that it's good to be free people who are not compelled to inject things into our bodies, which is kind of where I 'm at right now, then then we're going to bind together uh, for that and anyway that's enough of, of that I think it gives you plenty to, to keep pushing on with this though
1: yeah i I think I, there are there are at least two things about this that I think we have to be extremely clear about. One is that the time for not looking weird to people is over. That's, that's totally over. So coming off as cultish, you have to understand you already are. You're already strange. And that is more true for confessing Christians in some places than others. But it will become true for everybody everywhere soon enough if it's not already there. So the idea of groups is that what you're trying to mobilize is not perfection. And I think that this is the major mistake. And it's maybe why, partly at least, why LCMS people are um, so worried about this, because they know at least some sort of folktale about the mistakes made in the early LCMS. So let me be clear about, especially the relationship to finance in the past, the, the fact of the LCMS as one church body among others, and in many ways we have all the same problems at a smaller scale that the Southern Baptist Convention does, is that denominations as institutions that exist to keep buildings you know, functioning and, and and specific institutional realities ongoing and, and staffing and stuff like that, that's not really that old. so part of the point of the show is to give you enough historical perspective to crack your mind open. None of this is really that old. And in the case of the LCMS, it's within plenty of people's lifetimes that any of this has existed, that meetings have happened anywhere except the, the the dining room table of the synod president. None of this has to exist. It doesn't have to, it, it wasn't needed before. So, what I'm, what I'm thinking is that at a time such as 2020, for a lot of people, for some of us, it was earlier, when you realize that a lot of things and ways of being and doing and living are falling apart, you, I think you have to be a lot more optimistic about people's capacities for change. If you're not, then basically none of what I say should be listened to because If you don't think anything can change, then effort, which is a big part of what I'm trying to spur people toward in their lives, kind of on every level, is pointless. You know, maybe you can get into better shape, but, you know, if your congregation is just incorrigible, then, you know, don't listen to me. I'm a little more optimistic about people's capacities for change because I don't think that human groups actually function on raw ideology good or bad. I think they also function via leadership. I think it's why the study of great men in history is so important to understanding history because you can have any number of social or financial or whatever other factors present in a group, but the Roman Empire doesn't become what it does without Augustus and France doesn't take the course that it takes in the late 18th and early 19th century without Napoleon, So what we need on a local level is also what we need in a family is also what a group of any size needs, which is a combination of inspiration and encouragement that will allow the group to begin to see new possibilities. Because no one has to be completely self-sufficient in the group. The leader doesn't have to be. That's not the point. But the point is that the group is somehow inspired to other things than, you know, either for those who see too much, pessimism and defeatism, or for those who see nothing, just continual slumber.
0: A lot of good stuff in there. I, I'm, I think one of the most interesting things you've proposed to me ever, uh, and we've had this conversation before, is this idea that human groups do not function on ideology. And unpacking that more, I, th- I think, is, is valuable... It seems to call into question the Southern Baptist Convention in my mind, given that the entire reason for the Baptist theology theology's existence is the free will decision to adopt an ideology, ideology as like your your religion, right? Or, and which really struggles with ancient Christian examples of, say, a king converting and then the whole nation converting. And you know, well, that didn't really count. Did it? Did it not? I mean, human groups do not function on ideology. I'm asking you a little bit here to defend that.
1: They don't because let's take an example that's like kind of more neutral and for I mean for some people the Amish are probably a lot more familiar than you know SBC history is the Amish function as a group uh, they had largely on ideology everyone is thoroughly indoctrinated they went to jail in order to thoroughly indoctrinate their children on the other hand they also if you know anything about them have a massive interest in genealogy part of which is completely practical that they need to prevent something that was a problem about 30 or 40 years ago, which was the prevalence of genetic disease because of how closely they're all interrelated. Yeah. At at least at this point, it's, it's less of a problem. There are a lot more of them twice as many as in 1970. So, but but if you're planning um,
0: to go start a, start a like group in the mountains right now, like it'll work for two generations, right? But be ready. You got to handle this one.
1: Well, and we talked about this several weeks ago on the discord, on the discord channel, about how these projects have been tried on a small scale in many places and how they often fail or stagnate, especially in the second or third generation. And so I think think the idea of pioneering is important here because the idea that you might have to learn skills, practical skills, or also skills of, uh, let's say, skills of handicraft, but also skills of things like rhetoric in order to lead a group. That you might have to learn those doesn't mean that your children have to do exactly the same thing or live in exactly the same place. You actually can't ensure the way of life of your, your great-grandchildren. Mm-hmm. What you're doing, though, for your own part is planning for them to continue existing and that will lead you to you know john adams has a saying about this in terms of the founding generation that i had to learn politics and war i'm paraphrasing yeah
0: yeah i know this one yeah go
1: you know i had to learn politics and war so that my sons can learn
0: it's like math and science so their daughters can learn art and poetry and it's so well delivered in the mini series although i did never bought the actor as the as it but but a, a dynasty of ideas a dynasty of ideas, but you're defending that human groups don't function on ideology. And you brought up genealogy to show that. And and so I distracted you. So keep, keep going on that line.
1: Well, and they, and they, and they don't. And so I do not think that this I mean, obviously I wouldn't be here, but a lot of the listenership of this podcast and a lot of the students at the seminary where I teach right now uh, did not grow up in the LCMS. And the fact that that is now the case and wasn't the case 70 years ago makes new things possible because you don't have people with the same family background and the same attachment to institutions or anger at the institutions or whatever. That all does matter a lot. It makes things possible for the group that would not otherwise be possible. Um, a similar example would be the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, very small, but you know the, the average OPC congregation is largely converts, That makes for a very different kind of a group. And so I think that one of the things that you're dealing with, if you feel that you're alone, is that you need to think really clearly about why you're alone. Is it your age? Is it how you come off? Is it your lack of knowledge of the other people around you? Because it could be that there are possibilities for belonging there of which you're unaware. And, I, whenever I perceive a defect in a group, before I just presume that there's something just unutterably wrong with the group and I should write it off, that could be possible. But I want to figure out if I can somehow contribute to remedying it first. And so if you don't have a group and you're saying, you know, I don't want to move somewhere where I know there's a group, which I see people talking about every day in... (laughs) lutheran groups where can it i happen, go man i'm seeing yeah it right now. i see it happen too if you don't want to do that that's fine find people who don't have the exact same confession but who share a lot of basic things with you they're probably going to be reformed or baptist homeschoolers that's just the likeliest thing maybe some latin mass people maybe some orthodox but they probably grew up protestant too you're going to have a lot in common with them. It's all you need to secure childcare when you need it, uh, or help you get things done around the house and the yard and the property. If your congregation, which is set up as a 501c3, not as an independent sort of alternative to American life, we're still in the development stage of all of that, and. We never really tried anything after we, the LCMS, never tried anything like that after the very beginning years. However, there is an example of that working successfully among Lutherans, and it is the Franconians in northern Michigan who did successfully plant colonies. The signal difference between them and the cultural fairy tale of we followed leadership and it was horrible, so now we have tons of democracy down in Perry County, Missouri, is that the Franconians have leaders who are trustworthy and do not betray them. I am not worried that much about if in 50 years there are 100,000 LCMS Lutherans or if the LCMS as an acronym and a 501c3 exists or whether we have 100 congregations or 600,000 congregations. I'm concerned that nobody continues to come along and to inspire these people because the the default that I find in most people is not that they don't know there's nothing wrong or that they have no practical skills they can contribute to a group. It is that they are hopeless. They are defeated and they are miserable. That is my concern. And I, I want them not to have hope Uh, to have joy. And I think that they have that in Christ. And I think that they can have that together, but they need people to lead them. They need fathers. They need pastors.
0: Where have all the cowboys gone? What's the next question?
1: The next question is about energy production. I'm sorry, before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about heavy persecution. Just so, I mean.
0: Oh, right, right, right. So like, Oh what was it? What was the I was I had to go over the destruction of Jerusalem recently and the one year mm-hmm. lectionary if you preach it it's kind of unavoidable that you will, you're going to deal with it. And and so I told the story of the fall of Jerusalem, and I talked about boiling your babies in pots. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I, I also—I mean, I have to because it's the only way to live. And then I talked about how—it's uh, also a different, different story of Maccabean revolt, though. Uh, before mm-hmm. Matthias, father of Judas Maccabee, uh, Matthias the priest, before he kills the man at the altar in rage over him betraying you know, the, the, the people who are waiting for the Messiah— the rules that Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth have has put down upon the society include such things as uh, circumcised children are to be killed and then hung around the mother's neck as mm-hmm. a as a necklace to be worn, ongoingly. Um, yeah. That's persecution, people. That's persecution, right? Like we are so far from that. We might get killed, but not not like we're nowhere near what that was. So that's that's my contribution to to deep persecution. We should be ready, but like we got no idea. We yeah, I, mean, I, still eat, I still eat good food.
1: <laughs> what, what I would say is that both in the, fir- in, in the time before uh, Christ begins to claim sovereignty over the Roman Empire officially and publicly, let's say about, about the first 400 years of the Christian church, persecution is never a unitary phenomenon. It's not like it sort of like amps up and then you're at like code red and everyone is like, is getting killed every day, everywhere. It is always varied by virtue of any number of political and military and social and ethnic factors. And that's actually good news. Yeah. Because because what it means is that you will suffer much for his name if you live in one place If you live in another place, the pressure will be lower, but maybe longer lasting. And so the preparation you're making for that is going to depend on where you are. Rural, you know, Louisiana is not going to feel the same in 20 years as suburban California. I mean, obviously it doesn't now, but you understand what I'm saying, that even if, you know, the public school is teaching your child that he should turn into a girl in both places, the credence that is given to that by the local population and the legal difficulties and financial difficulties you encounter are going to vary widely from place to place. And so that's probably going to factor into where do I want to live, but it also factors into what is going to be asked of my group. And so what should I prepare for? You know, is my group going to be a group that's going to be threatened by really high crime rates because right, that's crime, good. Cri- You know, stuff like that? Or are we going to be dealing with Hey, what are how are we going to make a living, living in this like very legally calm, nice place to live, polite, you know, but rural. And so not a lot going on economically. How are we going to plan to survive together? So that's really going to vary from place to place as, as is also persecution specifically, all those challenges are going to be local challenges.
0: So how do you get the energy to face these local challenges?
1: Yeah, the local challenge. Okay, so this is kind of an engineering question. And, um, you know, so I, you know, I, full disclosure, don't know anything about engineering.
0: Can engineers to be saved? That's that's my question.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod has no hope if engineers can't be saved, because I think we have half of the nation's engineers in our pews on a Sunday. Energy production as also water like securing clean water. I have a couple recommendations, so these are these are not engineering texts, but there's a really wonderful book called The Encyclopedia of Country Living that covers a lot of things like this and also gives you recommendations for everything from you know, okay, you want to build you know a chicken coop here are plans, you want to get cleaner water out of your pond, here are plans. And that can be really helpful, not because I, I would really not recommend what survivalists have been doing for roughly the past 40 years, which is trying to do it all on your own. You're going to own all the guns. You're going to have all the skills. Right. You're going to have all the bug out locations.
0: Build a village, that, not a bug out, man. Build a village, not a bug out.
1: It, it's it's certainly cheaper to rely on other people's skills and abilities and property and to contribute what you can of your own than to try to do it all on your own.
0: I, I don't even know if it's possible, man. Unless you just got money to throw around. I don't yeah. know how you're going to
1: well, do it. No, I, survivalism really does, like as sort of a subculture, which has been around much longer than any of the stuff we generally talk about, it really does depend on boomer in- personal income. It, I mean, I I mean that since I'm not, it's a I'm lifestyle. not joking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because you have to buy so much stuff, um, and that's how you get you know kind of companies that can market exclusively to survivalists. It
0: doesn't go hand in hand with like you know five children kind of thing. It, it's it's tougher to do that way.
1: Yeah, that's at least first yeah, no generation, question. right? Yeah,
0: no question. So energy, though energy.
1: Yeah, so what you're gonna what you're looking at is energy production that's gonna come out of sources that could be locally produced electricity. This is where like, I don't think green energy actually needs to be like just a meme. I mean, I'm, I'm on record saying it's basically a hoax above a certain scale, but on a low scale in order to, you know, heat your home or to, you know, purify water in your place. Things like solar and wind are immensely productive and immensely sustainable. That's why windmills have the, you know, the longevity that they do or most, you know, water heaters in Israel are solar powered and have been for a long time. So, you know, in, in relationship to the ecology of where you are, utilize whatever natural resources you have, you're also going to have to pay attention to things in picking land and choosing where to build both a home, but also other buildings on the property, you're gonna have to pay more attention to the environment than just Here's a blank field. It was sold to me. I'm going to plop a McMansion on top of it. Because there are going to be other, other considerations, like if you live in a hot climate, you should have tall ceilings in order to you know, dissipate that, that heat. Basically, everything that everyone did up until about 100 years ago.
0: I figured I'd just dig a hole in the ground and then cut down a tree, build a crafting table, probably make a sword, a shovel, and a mine pick. And then I need <laughs> iron and some coal. Everything uh, should go pretty good after that. Okay. So that's that's the Minecraft plan. Uh, green realities, <laughs> I don't think is bad at all. Uh, I I'm gonna I'll go on record as saying I think we have a problem with our physics. And that energy solutions lie on the other side of rejecting string theory and rewinding to why Einstein was dissatisfied with his own theories, and that uh, there may be all sorts of ways that uh, this this randomly evolved accidental thing called universe maybe has more than one thing we haven't found yet. Uh, That'd be my suggestion. But okay, more questions. We had a bunch, and I got time to go a little extra today too to try to get through. We had a bunch of those responses. So what's next?
1: Yeah, we've got, we've got one more big one and I will save vaccine passports and any questions that come in later for next week. The last big one is, and would one person or family really need to own a whole town? How would that work? My advice would be no, that if you are interested in forming a community that doesn't yet exist, or if you have a community that is seeking space, uh, land, what you form is a private corporation, and the, the exact shape of that is going to depend on your state law. Again, these are all things that you should have – that you know, we should teach people in civics, but we don't um, is actually how things thank like you local for, government Thank you for works. alleviating
0: the blame from you should have as if, yeah, as if right. I could have helped it, right, uh, to, to they should have taught you. And let me just throw a little mad Christianity here too. I, I, I recently – you're going to stay on your track. Recently though, I have thought it was a fun game. Whenever someone says they should have, right, or what have they come up with next, whatever it is. But in this case, it's what they should have taught you. Just try pretending for a moment that they is the demons that are running everything behind the scenes. And it's an illuminating set of experiences you'll have as as you listen to people talk about them and they. So they should have taught you. But, of course, the demons didn't teach you this because they didn't want you to know about civics, which would allow you to form a private corp for your town. And that's where you were.
1: Yeah, and the private corporation, like I said, is going to have a different shape, um, potentially depending on your state. But the idea is, and these these exist in the case um, that I've mentioned before, of usually commercial enterprises. Florida, it's particularly easy to form things like this. So there are many retirement communities, including the nation's largest one, the villages, that are private corporations. And within those bounds, they can make all kinds of laws that are theoretically illegal, according to current interpretations of the 14th Amendment to the, Constitution, to the U.S. Constitution. So You know, you can't live here if you're under the age of 55. You can't drive anything except a golf cart here. But also the community formed around Ave Maria University, which started in Michigan and then was moved to Florida, partly because of the availability of land, also has its own rules. Disney does something similar to this with Celebration Florida. So you can enforce all kinds of architectural aesthetic codes uh, you can do almost anything you want. That's always, in this case, either a corporation, as we often think of it, a for-profit corporation trying to attract business or something like that. But it can also be a group of people who simply have common life goals. And this honestly just is not nearly as hard as people might imagine Isn't that it is. that
0: kind of like how a university started I mean, you know, and, and monasteries, and yes and no, mm-hmm. there's, there's some different mm-hmm. factors going on, right? But mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you're gathering around shared interest of survival. Largely, correct, you know? right.
1: Yeah, correct, exactly. And so what you're doing is you're saying, okay, I, I'm opting out of certain things. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm completely disconnecting myself. I think that would be foolish in many ways or that everything is going to be amazing, but that I'm basically covenanting to run my life in this different way with this group of people. This is obviously not for everybody, but if it's not for everybody, I think it is for several or lots of somebodies. And legally speaking, it isn't that difficult what you would need to do. And this is where I think things like financing investment in the future would be wise, especially if the institutions that we already have were oriented toward future goals of the continued existence of the group, this is one way to do
0: it. <laughs> Our institutions are not aligned toward that. I'm sorry. That, um, uh, that'd be nice to have them aligned toward that, with, especially with with funding. I, my experience has been that the institutions are largely aligned toward making it look like we're going to make the bottom line this year, even though we just need a few more boomers to die. And uh, and, and until that cycle of dollars... Cruel as it is, is resolved. It's hard for me to gander what our institutions are really going to look like. Right? How are they going to survive without those those cherry picked uh, big donations coming in? And, and when does that really trickle off? Uh, and again, inside baseball, but that's a little bit of what what this episode has been about. Opt out to opt in, man. Opt out to opt in. That's a that's a good one. What else?
1: That's the last question. So the vaccine passport stuff that I have ready to go, we'll, we'll just do next week because maybe by that time, somebody besides New York will actually have a state vaccine passport. Currently, it's only New York
0: State. So New York State has done that. Biden admin with no federal passport, but guidelines for private companies and requiring a vaccination or negative COVID test. Uh, preference for soft power over hard power. Yeah. More and more Biden just... I mean, I I am luddite right? I'm I'm backing out of the inputs. I'm I'm living in a cave, not quite, but sort of. I'm not unplugging entirely, but I'm opting out to opt into some other stuff. And every time Mm -hmm. Biden shows up, all I get is like this weird uh, merger of Max Headroom and the Joker. And and there he is kind of laughing over the top of this American chaos. And then I remember like, I don't even know. I don't even know. It's so far away nothing's changed here on the ground other than very gradually even though it's illinois things are loosening up uh, the nursing home just is allowing shut in visits again finally uh mm-hmm. you know things like that it seems to be getting getting better here even though we're in illinois yet i hear about new york right so so the fracturing man the fracturing just continues to be such a powerful powerful thing so can i can i ask ahead of schedule vaccine mm-hmm. passports i mean mm-hmm. This is not going to be like the nail in the coffin, now you can't eat. This is the real fracture kind of riveting itself through the center of the country, right? Like the the real split in half is going to be, are you vaccinated or are you not? And this is what they're pushing. And we're watching how unclear that future is, how it, it's not going to win outright and just have a majority.
1: Does that sound well, right? I, I think that I, I – I.
0: Please disagree is, with me. Throw me in the, the bus. I want to learn, man.
1: <laughs> the the vaccine passports, I do not think will be rolled out generally governmentally on any level. And the World Health Organization actually recommends that governments not mandate them. What they'll do is something similar to the way that masks work in a state like Indiana, where institutions highly aligned with corporate power, such as universities or big box stores require masks, as well as does our, our, in Indiana, government buildings, partly because our Republican Party, though it's completely dominant, is really just, you know, kind of a big line go up economic republicanism. It doesn't have the sort of cultural edge that, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis brings or something. Um, So side by side, you have corporate America with its minions such as the education system reinforcing things like masks and probably in the future things like vaccination so if i want to go to a local hardware store i don't have to wear a mask if i want to go to home depot i probably have to wear a mask and similarly you know the so the fracturing occurs along in this sense what are really more strictly economic lines than Political or geographic lines. So you'll have a little like glimpse of California in Indiana or Nebraska rather than saying, okay, you know, this is how everything is in California. And then the rules are totally different in Nebraska. And I think that that will long term be simply more effective in ensuring compliance than allowing every state that wants to do kind of a Ron DeSantis Florida thing to do it thoroughly.
0: I think it's going to get very Robin Hood in a lot of places, and by that I don't mean stealing money per se. So much as, uh, well, small businesses scratching backs as much as they are attempting to compete with the big, big box store. Uh, more and more local Illinois law. I just I, I look at what Rockford's become, and it's just so hard for them to do anything here. All the all the wrecks that are put on anyone that does something in the city, um, and Mcchesney Park, which is just north north of there, is just as similar. And and you can really see uh, what you just said. So the big box places are all in line with the corporate narrative from on high. And the mm-hmm. small businesses are hit or miss. But those small businesses are the very thing that were most harmed and uh, shut down by 2020. And it is the most difficult thing it would seem to start right now in some places. Although again, I haven't tried myself to open a store. Uh, I'm just like, hmm. All that would go into it right now. Uh, it seems that it's it's not the best time to go into certain kinds of business. I guess so. Uh, food food operations. Um, you know, we're not going to open a computer store. Uh, you know, if mm-hmm. you're going to go into small business, somehow it's got to be far more provisional. You know, flooring. Um, you know, something that you can can do today or next week and not do the week after and keep doing it as opposed to, you know, kind of clock, clocking in, clocking out. Thoughts about that?
1: No, I mean, I think you, I think you said it well. And I think the, so the, the fracturing here is not is not purely geographic. Um, something I'm going to be interested in is the fate of dissent in places where the politics are completely aligned with corporate objectives concerning vaccination or, or or policies on race or whatever, what dissent is able to look like in a place like New York, or been talking a lot on the discord to folks from Canada, and seeing what's going on with them, because they have continual lockdowns that are more stringent than almost anything still going on in the United States. So what the future is, not just where, you know, things are mixed, and some things are open, and some things are not. And some things feel normal and some things don't, but in a place where, you know, normalcy can be removed <laughs> by practically every level of power at any moment, that is going to be, that's going to be really hard going forward for, for all kinds of things and, and should play into people's thoughts about where they want to live. If it hasn't before.
0: One more question. Uh, on yeah. that. Then so if someone's actually saying, all right, all right. I, I hear everything you're saying. I'm looking at my life. I I am pretty convinced that I don't want to live here where I am right now. Where I am right now, I do not want to live. If I live here, I will be unhappy. If I live here, yeah. I will be endangered. If I live here, my kids will, I don't know. Uh, okay, so that's a big kind of like panic moment. And mm-hmm. um, what would be your minimum recommended time frame for responding to that panic with an actual move? Two years? One year? seven months. Give me some of like your minimum, like whatever you do, don't change your life for at least this long while you figure this out. Like, like don't just jump. What's your, what's your kind of game plan there?
1: I would say at least six months because you have to think, you have to think not only about how you would, how you would move and what you would do and how you would support your family in a new place, but also whether the things that you are trying to get away from are actually things that a person can get away from Ooh, good. Yeah. So for instance, like if, if actually on a day-to-day basis, <clears throat> your real problem is that you have a lot of trouble getting along with people, a move isn't going to solve that. You'll just get a different set of people that you have a lot of trouble getting along with. And that could be the deepest problem in your, in your life for the next 40 years, not vaccine passports. I think One thing that people that read the news a lot, uh, which is probably all of us too much, um, most of us right now, is they become very confused about what would actually improve life, one of which would probably be reading less news. But another thing would simply be realizing that probably most of the problems in your life are yours and are not systemic or if they are systemic, are not things about which you can do a whole lot. So I think that you you don't want to make enormous life decisions hastily. And I say this as someone weighing a lot of things for myself personally right now. Haste might be satisfying, but it's a lot less reliable than something that you've taken time to let mature in your mind. And you have come to a sort of calmness about Because the last thing I want to do is to talk in a way that is alarmist. Even when I say things that people find disturbing but true, the reason I'm saying them is for people to grow in wisdom, not simply for the shock value of telling you something horrible that you realize is true once you think about it. The point is always to become more wise, uh, more useful, more helpful, so that you can live a better life. And you can't really live a better life long term if you're making incredibly hasty decisions and then acting on them, no matter how, I think, you know, instinctually easy and good and obvious they seem, you know, right away.
0: You're weighing a lot of things right now. You said, would you mind giving us some broad categories of of that from your own thinking? Like, what are you weighing?
1: I'm weighing what what the nature of what the nature of The work that I need to do in whatever time the Lord has for me actually needs to be, and therefore where I need to be, what I should be doing, what would be best for my family long-term, because a lot of the institutional realities we've talked about today are ones in which I'm, by virtue of what I'm currently doing, very much caught up. Not so much, you know, potential microfinance, but... um, (laughs) you know, a group that made certain decisions about how to be and to be in the case of, you know, the campus where I live completely and triumphantly mainstream about 65 years ago. And because the the demographic and financial realities of that group are not at all what they were back in the late 50s and early 60s, a lot of things are very uncertain. And so, you know, uh, institutionally, right? Um, yeah, super well said. For, I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> for the inti- for the entire church, you yeah. know, not so much for me. And so but that that impacts my life, you know, intimately. And so, you know, if you're thinking like, oh man, like I have never thought about living in Oklahoma, like I'm right there with you, right? But I too am thinking about these things because I don't, I mean, like I don't really I don't really want to go through 2020 again with a group that on the whole, our initial reaction was to be terrified as we were told to be
0: to sit and hide in a cave. Like we're told, right? Yeah, it was exactly right.
1: It was Uh, a combination of shameful and disgusting simultaneously. And um,
0: I needed that year. I'm thankful for that year, but I couldn't agree (laughs) with you more that we sat, we sat and let the world dictate the terms and, and it just hurts the heart I don't want to I don't want to you know demean so, anybody. Go ahead, go ahead.
1: So so that's you know that's why I'm weighing a lot of things personally, but I would say, you know, if you're if you're in a boat something like mine, don't be too hasty in making a big move or making a drastic life change. It could be the best thing for you and I mean one thing that I'm extremely thankful for about being a clergyman is when I chose to go to seminary, I sort of accepted and my wife accepted that, you know, nothing is guaranteed by the nature of the job. It's kind of a, it's kind of it's been a helpful approach to life, to be honest with you. The illusion of security that
0: mm,
1: yeah. some people are able to have has never been mine. And so that's been great, actually, to be honest. So, it's like you know, being that's, a grand adventure. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we we do think of it that way. We do think of it that way. You can.
0: You can. Not everybody does. I think it'd be better to do so. If I might, uh, I thought a lot of what you said about discovering the nature of your work was really good and Mm -hmm. uh, helped me, at least it it put in terms what I've also been pushing on uh, through 2020 and because of 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably the best thing I've done in regard to that is I've built a workbench. I want to suggest if you're out there and you're trying to figure out a lot of these things and you haven't yet provided for yourself a workbench. Many of you guys out there have this, but build yourself a workbench, guys. And for what? Well, first, to build a workbench. So don't expect it to be the same workbench all the time. It's going to grow. It's going to change. But you'll find as you try to envision, well, what would my workbench look like? You'll find your hands gravitating towards certain types of things you're going to use to put it together. And over the course, if you give this, give us some time, you know, give us six months or, or 10 months of building your ultimate workbench in the garage or wherever, um, and let the pieces kind of come and go, I think you'll figure out what you're supposed to do, what the nature of your work is. I think it'll show up. And I can only say that from – that that has been my experience. And my my bizarre-looking on-wheels rider's bench is is – one of my absolute favorite things in the world. And every time I look at it, I remember what I'm here to do. And uh, so, so I know it's symbolic too. Uh, just oh. a suggestion for your, your personal quest. But while you're questioning the nature of your work, Dr. Koontz, I got another one for you. You got time for huh. one more.
1: Yeah, sure. Go ahead.
0: Have you been questioning cosmology at all?
1: <sighs> no, not, not, not particularly not. So you're
0: full on Copernican right now. Still just straight up modern science. The planets are all as, you know, uh, pale blue dot. We're all pale blue dot. That's actually real. This isn't quite the moon question, but you know. <laughs> well,
1: you know, I mean, I I live next to a library where I can access all the stuff that we used to write about geocentrism. So I'm certainly open to the possibility, but beyond that, I haven't been looking into it recently.
0: I'm trying. To, I'll, I'll oh, golly. Now I'm going to say this publicly, not of the the, the book. Matthew Pajot, I think, is the author of a book on Genesis and cosmology, and um. I find it compelling. What he makes the case is is that the biblical cosmology doesn't care as much about its empiricism because it's largely dealing with unseen things. And it really – I don't know. It's caused me to, to want to rethink – how I view the interaction of seen, unseen world. My comments about physics earlier are not disconnected from this. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a big burning sun out there, but you know I care less about what they tell me it you know where it's flying and what Milky Way, uh, and more about uh, you know things like how this would uh, impact where I stand when I see it. And this is the big shift that Peugeot, uh points out in this book: is that ancient cosmology is viewed from the point of view of your eyeballs and your body. And that in that regard, it's still true, actually. And um, so if you haven't picked mm. that book up, Dr. Coons, I'll try to get the title, yeah, sure. title to you. Yeah. It's, yeah, I found it very, very useful. Just the first 15 pages is so useful. I'm still pondering it. And I plan to get back to it uh, sometime in the future. Why don't you say something really wise and clever? And then that'll just be the end of the show. This is Brief History Power Two White Guys. What do you want to say?
1: I know that this has been less helpful than... Um... You know, maybe everybody needed. So please keep the questions coming because I always find myself far more stimulated and interested by people that are like, you know, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, than people who not along with me and and what I'm saying. So please keep the questions coming. I'm not going to do one of these every single week. I do want to talk vaccine passports and the history of enforced vaccination in the United States because there is one. But I love the questions too.
0: You can send those questions directly for the moment to redfist.com slash contact. Or you can find the Mad Christian Discord by searching for us, The Chill, in your Discord app. And then once you're in, looking for the A Brief History of Power channel. You don't have to get with any of the other stuff there. Just go to the Brief History of Power channel. And there, not only can you ask questions that can be answered in the show, you might get Dr. Coons to answer you right there. Or you'll find one of those other ridiculous, like, polymathematic geniuses that live in this space. They'll give you as good an answer as we will. A Brief History of Power with two white guys. You know where to find us, or you would not be here room.